Welcome to the HF21 series on the CHFS perspective and case-based approach on the 2021 CHFS CCS Heart Failure Guidelines. In this episode entitled Beyond Foundational Therapy, When to Reach in the Toolbox, we will discuss the clinical characteristics that warrant the initiation of additional treatments beyond foundational therapy and help you identify patients who experience worsening heart failure. An on-demand version of the 30-minute episode on the same topic presented by Dr. Shelley Zeroff is available right now at www.imedicus.ca backslash HF21. To learn more about the Canadian Heart Failure Society and find out more about upcoming programs and initiatives, visit www.heartfailure.ca. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. My name is Lisa Melnichuk. I'm a professor of medicine in cardiology, cellular and molecular medicine, and director of the Advanced Heart Failure Program at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute. And I will be walking you through today's case. So let's meet our case. This is a patient named Geraldine. She is an 81-year-old woman who was diagnosed with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction approximately nine months ago. She is quite symptomatic with her heart failure with baseline NYHA class three symptoms. She has an EF of 32%. And when you see her in clinic, she's not feeling very well. She has fluid retention, peripheral edema, and fatigue. Her physical exam demonstrates a blood pressure of 125 over 85. She's in sinus rhythm with a heart rate of 78. And her NT proBNP is markedly elevated at 1500. Her, she has chronic kidney disease with a serum creatinine of 130. Her sodium is normal and her potassium is 4.8. She's also anemic with an iron of seven and a ferritin of eight. Now at baseline, this patient is on Valsartan, 120 milligrams BID, Bisoprolol, 10 milligrams a day. She's on spironolactone, 25 milligrams a day, and she's on furosemide, 60 milligrams a day. And so when we see this patient and she has been admitted to hospital for her symptoms, as the treating physician, we always ask ourselves, what is the next step for this patient? We note she's not on an ARNI. Perhaps that's the right answer. Perhaps we should initiate Evabradine given that her baseline heart rate is 78. Or maybe we should do some combination of all of the above or more. And the other question we ask ourselves is, how much can we do at once? And how many new drugs would you be comfortable initiating at the same time? given that this patient has a good blood pressure, but not so great kidneys. Now let's look at the 2021 heart failure guidelines. And we know that four foundational therapies are the cornerstone of management for our HEFREF patients. And that includes an ARNI or ACE inhibitor or ARB, a beta blocker, an MRA and an SGLT2 inhibitor. In all patients who can tolerate those medications, ideally initiated within the first three to six months of their diagnosis. Now, our patient is on three of those medications, but she is not yet on an ARNI, and she's about nine months into her diagnosis, but unfortunately, she's in the hospital. She has not done well, and she has had a worsening heart failure event. And if we look at the guideline recommendations, there are four key messages to consider. The first is that those four drugs should be used in all patients who can clinically tolerate them. The second is that we try to get each patient up to the dose that they can tolerate. And that may be the maximally approved dose, and it may not be. 
The third is that there is evidence to support the use of secubitril valsartan over an ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker. And the final key message has to do with the use of SGLT2 inhibitors and that their effect is profound whether or not you have diabetes. And that is the foundational therapy. But beyond that, we now look at how to personalize the therapy, particularly in patients who are not doing clinically well. And that can include things like evabradine, very CIGWAT, or perhaps even intravenous iron. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But if we stop and think of foundational therapy, I wanna ask yourself, if you put this patient on four foundational therapies, what do you think we could expect in terms of improvement of life years? And in fact, in a really nice study done in the Lancet looked at with computational analysis, the added gain in survival with four foundational therapies over conventional ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker and beta blocker. And what they demonstrated was that for a 55-year-old patient, you could improve event-free survival by eight years and overall survival by over six years. But even in an 80-year-old woman like our patient, we could improve her event-free survival by more than two and a half years by optimizing that foundational therapy. Now, our patient is not doing well. She's had a worsening heart failure event. And another question to ask ourselves is how common is this? Well, in fact, there's good data from real-world study linking registry and claims of over 11,000 patients with HEFREF that one in six patients will develop a worsening heart failure event within 18 months of their initial diagnosis. So this is not an uncommon problem. And this worsening heart failure can be characterized by progressive symptoms of heart failure requiring the need for admission, the need for an urgent heart failure visit, or the need for IV diuretics. So not only is a worsening heart failure event very common, but the clinical significance of it is also important to mention. And that good data suggests that patients who have a worsening heart failure event move to a completely different morbidity and mortality curve. And unfortunately, more one in five of these patients will pass away within the first two years of their worsening heart failure event. And so this is a significant point in the patient's care plan where we really do want to recalibrate what's happening and try to improve the expected change in morbidity and mortality because of this worsening event. We also understand that unlike cancer, heart failure doesn't follow a very predictable curve and patients can have multiple worsening heart failure events at, var at variable stages in their disease. And as we all know, for many of us that look after these patients, after one worsening heart failure event, they may improve but oftentimes never to the level that they were at before that event. And it can be gradually progressive over time. We also know that despite goal-directed medical therapy, the residual risk for HEFREF patients remains significant. And even if you look at data from Paradigm HF, that patients on therapy, including secubitril valsartan, MRA, beta blocker, diuretics, digoxin, had significant incidence of cardiovascular death over that period of time, close to 10%. And so I don't know about you, but even an optimized patient's residual risk remains high. So how do we change that? Well, we've mentioned evabradine. Our patient had maximally tolerated dose of bisoprolol at 10 milligrams and her heart rate was 78. 
And we know from clinical trials that if we added evabradine to her regimen, we could significantly reduce her risk of rehospitalization as well as cardiovascular mortality. We also have data now to suggest that evabradine is actually safe and effective in being initiated in hospital and that the synergistic co-administration of evabradine and beta blockers during hospitalization may actually reduce her cardiovascular mortality. We also know from the Victoria study that very sequat can potentially reduce her risk of heart failure hospitalization. Now, Victoria was a very interesting study that looked at patients who had had a worsening heart failure event like this case, and that the administration of very sequat could reduce an absolute risk reduction of 4.2% her incidence of cardiovascular death or hospitalization. We also know from this study that this may be guided by NT-proBNP and the effect was most benefit in patients whose NT-proBNP was below 4,000. And that once their NT-proBNP was over 8,000, this drug was found to be less effective. Certainly suggesting that the personalization may be important here and that there may be a cohort of patients who may really benefit from very sequat. We also mentioned that in this case, the patient was anemic. So is there a role for intravenous iron therapy in heart failure? And in fact, there is. There's data from the Affirm AHF study, which randomized over 1,000 patients who were iron deficient in the setting of acute decompensated heart failure to IV iron or placebo. And they found that the patients who received the intravenous iron had a reduction in cardiovascular death or first hospitalization or cardiovascular death. And so this is another way we can try to recalibrate our patient's care plan and improve her morbidity and mortality. Now, I think the hospitalization represents the ideal point to do this. You have that patient with you, you see them daily. It is the best time to recalibrate what they have been on and try to get them on the best therapy to change the natural history. And so if we reflect back on our case, there are multiple things we can consider. But I believe that switching the ARB to the ARNI would be one of the first things that I would do. I would also add in an SGLT2 inhibitor as she is a great candidate for such. It's not unreasonable to consider, consider Verisiguat if available, but also I would consider Evabradine for this patient based on the discussion above. And finally, treating her anemia in hospital is a great way to try to reduce her risk of rehospitalization. Very practically, what are some things to remember? Well, let's talk about evabradine. Remember, evabradine has no effect on myocardial contractility. It's not gonna change blood pressure and it's tolerated very well in renal dysfunction. Now we expect that evabradine will reduce her heart rate, but it's interesting to know that typical reductions in resting sinus heart rate after treating with beta blockers are ranging from 10 to 15 blood pressure, uh, beats per minute rather, with little change between low and high doses. And so if you've got a patient on a moderate dose of a beta blocker and you're worried about titrating it up, adding in evabradine may really be a good way to reduce their morbidity. It can be started as low as 2.5 milligrams BID and titrated up as tolerated. Let's talk a little bit about the role of Verisiguat. I wanna again reinforce this concept that Verisiguat may be a great drug to reduce heart failure hospitalization in patients who have had a worsening heart failure event. But if your patient has an NT-proBNP beyond 8,000, you may wanna choose another agent at that time. And that the 
correction of iron deficiency anemia should be a target of therapy in our heart failure patients. And the most wild, widely accepted definition is a serum ferritin less than 100 micrograms per liter or a ferritin between 100 and 299 with a transferrin saturation less than 20%. So in summary, foundational therapy should be optimized to target doses, maximally targeted, targeted uh, tolerated doses before initiating other therapies. But when we move to that personalization stage, we should be looking at things like symptom status, heart rate, and blood pressure, as well as goals of care to offer additional therapies which are shown to be effective in heart failure management and may significantly improve not just this patient's risk of rehospitalization, but as well her morbidity and her quality of life. And so I'd like to thank you for your time this afternoon. And again, I would just like to say that this program was made possible through educational grants from Novartis and BI Lilly Alliance. Thank you.